church. 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. I want to bring a message this morning uh, in keeping with the theme of honoring our veterans. This Veterans Day weekend, I know that Veterans Day was on Friday, but as we seek to do so as a church gathering today, 2 Samuel chapter 23. In the, uh, aren't you glad God's been faithful? I've seen, been young, now I'm old, the psalmist said, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. We can count our blessings, we can rest in the faithfulness of God. Great is His faithfulness, His mercies are new every morning. And uh, boy, I hear a song like that, and I just want to uh, be reminded of the fact that we're in the presence of the Lord. I'm not going to be long this morning. Sometimes I am, by my own definition. And, uh, but I do want us to, from the Bible, pay tribute to our veterans that are in our presence today. I want you to notice Psalm tw- or 2 Samuel 23 and verse number 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat chief among the captains. The same was Adino the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Do you hope there's a replay of that one? And after him was Eliezer the son of Dodo the Hohohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines. Let me just say this about the names in this list. This is not the passage where folks would go to in order to pick out names for their children. But I guarantee you, you would have not laughed at a man named Dodo in this passage if you'd have met him face to face. Okay. He was one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines. Remember, the Philistines were their mortal enemies, not only of the people of Israel, but the people of God. They had rejected God and were doing all that they can to destroy him and his people. There were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel, when they were, and, and uh, that were the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. They had fled the scene. But Eliezer, verse 10, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. There was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Verse 13, and I believe this is referring to the three mighty men we just considered. Verse number 17 will confirm that. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. The Philistines had invaded. These were raiding parties, foraging, robbing from the people of Israel. They're right outside the city of Bethlehem in the valley of Rephaim. And David, who was a Bethlehem boy, was then in an hold in the cave of Adullam, about 13 miles southwest of there. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me 
drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord, understood as an offering of gratitude. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three. And he lifted up his spear against 300. He only made it in the second category. (laughs) And slew them and had the name among them. Was he not most honorable of three? Therefore he was their captain. Howbeit he attained not unto the first three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts... He slew two lion-like men of Moab, other enemies of the people of God. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in a time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. The parallel passage in 1 Chronicles tells us this, this Egyptian was over seven feet tall. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, the thickness of a weaver's beam. But he went down to him with a staff or a club, this Benaiah did. And notice, with his club, engaged this Egyptian with this mighty spear in his hand that was over seven feet tall, plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among the three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he attained not to the first three, and David set him over the guard. Now, I am purposely going to read the rest of this chapter. Because in it is the list of the remaining men of David's mighty men, his elite guard, veterans in his army. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. Shammah, the Herodite. Elika, the Herodite. Helez, the Paltite. Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite. Abiezer, the Anathethite. Mebunai, the Hushathite. Zalman, the Ahohite. Maharai, the Netaphathite, Heleb, the son of Bana, the Netaphathite, Ittai, the son of Ribai, of Gibeah, of the children of Benjamin, Benaiah, the Pyrethonite, Hidai, of the brooks of Geash, Abialban, the Arbathite, Asmavath, the Barhumite, Elihaba, the Shalbanite, of the sons of Jashan, Jonathan, Shammah, the Hararite, Ahiam, the son of Sherar the Hararite. Eliphalet, the son of Ahasbai, the son of the Maacathite. Eliam, the son of Hithophel, the Gilanite. Hezri, the Carmelite. Peari, the Arbite. Egal, the son of Nathan of Zobah. Bani, the Gadite. Zelek, the Ammonite. Naharai, the Berethite. Armor-bearer to Joab, the son of Zeruiah. Ira, the Ithrite. Garib, an Ithrite. Uriah, the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. From a 21st century Englishman's perspective, I'm glad that's finished. But as we'll see in a moment, it is significant that every one of those names was read. Let's pray. Father, help us in these next few moments as we consider from a Bible example 
ways that we can honor our veterans. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Veterans Day began as Armistice Day, 11-11-1919, marking the one-year anniversary of the ceasing of the hostilities of World War I. Originally called Armistice Day, but fittingly, President Dwight D. Eisenhower was instrumental in it being renamed Veterans Day. As many of you know, the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day is that Memorial Day is the expression of gratitude for those who paid the ultimate sacrifice of being killed in combat. Veterans Day is our opportunity to honor those in our midst still living as veterans of our nation's armed forces. I found an amazing definition of veteran just recently. Maybe you've seen it before. I saw it on T-shirts and plaques. A veteran is an individual who wrote a blank check payable to the United States of America for an amount up to and including one's own life. When I read that, I just stopped and paused and let my jaw drop open. A life is the equivalent of a blank check. It grieves me as a Christian that there are those who call themselves Christian in these times who at worst disdain patriotism and at least are shy about it. And they say that such displays of patriotism or patriotism and honoring our veterans are not based on any biblical precedent. Now, I understand the importance of the preeminence as believers of our giving place, giving preeminence to our heavenly citizenship. Okay. America is not eternal. Heaven is. Okay. And so we understand each in their place, the balance of it. But the Apostle Paul in himself is a tremendous testimony to us of honoring God and his heavenly citizenship, but also being patriotic to the nation of Israel. And so I get the importance of balance, but I want us to be reminded this morning that love of country and gratitude for our veterans clearly has a biblical precedent. There is not an inconsistency in honoring both in their place. David, the man after God's own heart, shows us the way. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? If David, the man after God's own heart, honored his veterans like he did in 2 Samuel 23, then we have precedent for honoring our veterans in 2022. 2 Samuel 22, 23, and 24 are what some have called an appendix to 2 Samuel. David had several important chapters that didn't necessarily fit, if you would, whether he was the penman or Samuel. If he, maybe David was providing information. He had several chapters or pieces of information that didn't necessarily fit in the chronological flow of 2 Samuel 1 to uh, 21. And so they were included in something of a, an appendix. But it's as if they had to be included, and the Spirit of God thought so too. 2 Samuel chapter 22 is almost word for word Psalm 18. And in that chapter, 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, David 
testifies to the help of God in his life as he's coming to the end of his reign as a king. He's acknowledging the hand of God, the help of God. But in 2 Samuel 23, he wants to acknowledge the human instrumentality that had such a vital part in his accomplishing what he did as king. And in so doing, David shows us how to honor veterans. The warrior king of Israel testifying to the importance of human instrumentality that God provided, the hearts of men that God had stirred. And by the way, let me just have you think about this passage. I'll turn there and read it. First Chronicles chapter 11 and verse number 10. The parallel passage to 2 Samuel 23. Listen to this. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had. Notice this. What did these men do? Who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. In other words, these men understood their role as helping God or working for God and helping David as the king of Israel. And their help was vital. Several practical things I noticed David did to honor his veterans. The first is that he listed their names. Did you notice how our text began? Verse number 8, 2 Samuel 23, a simple statement. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. He listed their names along with it. He listed the names of some of their dads, in some cases, some of their moms, which was unusual in the Bible. He mentioned the name of their hometowns or their regions. As you study some of these regions out, you find that some of these were boys from the north of Israel, some from the south, some from the west, some from the east, some from the country, some from the city, some from well-known regions, some from backwoods regions. These were men from all over Israel, from all different backgrounds and walks of life. And at the name mention of their name, at the mention of their hometown, in some places, Bible scholars don't even know exactly where some of these towns were. Some of these men were foreigners. One a Moabite, one an Ammonite, one a Hittite. Some of these men were defectors from Saul. And at great personal risk, they understand that God's hand had been removed from Saul. And at great personal risk, they went to follow David. In 1 Samuel 22, we find that some of these were the incorrigibles of society. They were men in debt. They were men who were discontent. It was the idea of they were being abused by Saul. And so what did they do? They gathered themselves like a motley crew to King David in a cave south of Bethlehem. They were farm boy fighters. We find two of them to defend food for the people of Israel, defending a field of barley, one, and defending a field of lentils, another. Farm boy fighters. And by the way, in those days with the Philistine raiders and foragers, the farmers had to be fighters. But I want you to notice that the first way David honored these veterans by, was by listing their names. He remembered their names. That's why we had all of these veterans stand on this platform and give their name. It's a way that we show honor. Every one of them mattered. David knew their names. It shows us that it takes all kind, that everyone is vital. You ever thought about how important it was to you when somebody remembered your name? 
and how that sinking feeling came when somebody said, I think I've seen you before, but... But then somebody you hadn't seen in a long time remembers your name. That's your identity in so many ways. And he showed honor by remembering their name. But I want you to notice, secondly, he showed honor to these veterans by recounting their exploits. As Americans, I believe we have well learned to do this and should continue to do so. The name Alvin York. From the Valley of Three, More, uh, Three Forks in Mall, Tennessee. In uh, Argonne, World War I, fighting against the Germans. 20-some enemies slain in combat, personally taking 132 prisoner. By the way, a man of faith as well. We remember the names and the exploits of an Audie Murphy in the Calmore Gap. In France, five feet, five inches tall. When he first went to enlist, they wouldn't take him because he didn't weigh enough. Farm boy, sharecropper from northeast Texas. And yet, what an instrument he became. Sent six panzer German tanks fleeing. Personally, took the lives of 50 enemy. Saved the lives number of men in his own platoon. What about the story of a Desmond Doss? The only conscientious objector to ever be awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. In the Battle of Okinawa, at Hacksaw Ridge, personally, as a medic, saved the lives of 75 of his comrades. And on and on the list goes. But I want us to understand that 3,000 years before the USA ever came into existence, David was already recounting the exploits of the veterans in his life. There are eight unique exploits. They're fascinating for us to consider. I've highlighted them all in orange in my Bible. Some of the exploits were the actions of men single-handedly. Some of them were squad action. I love that part of the chapter beginning in verse number 13. And I've envisioned it. My dad used to tell this story. Those three mighty men that are named uh, in the passage before. Adino, Eliezer, and Shammah. Laying there in the mouth of that cave of Adullam, 13 miles. It's harvest time. It's hot. 13 miles southwest of Bethlehem. And David, in thirst, just breathing out loud. Boy, I'd just love to have a drink from the water of the well at Bethlehem. I can see my dad telling the story. He said he could see Shammah looking at Eliezer and going. I don't know what time of day they did it. By the way, a day's journey was 24 miles in the Bible. People have asked, how could they do that 13 miles? If you go to 1 Chronicles, chapter number 11, the Bible tells us that these guys were like rows on the mountain, deer on the mountain. And they had beards that looked like the mane of a lion. Okay, Just the look of these guys was intimidating, okay? But I can see those guys busting out of that cave, running the 13 miles, fighting through the garrison of the Philistines. I can see one of them saying, okay, Shammah, you get the crank, start cranking. And the other two are fighting off. They're saying, hurry up, there's a lot of them here. We can't hold them off any longer. Would you hurry up, crank faster? And I can see Shammah going, I'm cranking as fast as I can, guys. And they bring that water back to David. 
in the cave and immediately silence, you can imagine, falls over the place. As David acknowledges best he can the exploit that these men had just accomplished on his behalf. I notice these men, as we think about their exploits, these, listen, these were not aimless exploits. These were purposeful exploits. There was a cause. It's reputed that Hitler said that if he had 10,000 American GIs, he could conquer the world. He was wrong. Because the thing that motivated the American soldier was a cause, and Hitler didn't have it. But these men understood the importance of protecting their people. They understood the importance of preserving the cause. It was the same cause that David, as a 17-year-old boy, had brought to the forefront when he took his sling and went into the Valley of Elah to fight Goliath. Is there not a cause? And these men had taken up the cause of the Lord. The cause was protecting their people. The cause was preserving. The purpose was preserving the cause. And do you know what else is interesting to me? And this astounds me when I read this. These men, some of them, accomplished exploits that surpassed even what David did. I think it says something about David as a leader. Do you remember Saul getting jealous after David had slain Goliath and they come back into the city and the maidens of the city are singing, Saul had slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands and jealousy rose up in Saul's heart that would send him into a murderous rage for the next 10 plus years. Do you know one of the things I love about David? He was the king. And yet he acknowledged the exploits of men who surpassed him in their military accomplishments. What a testimony. I thirdly notice this, not only that David listed their names, not only that he recounted their exploits, but David expressed his gratitude. You can't read this passage and other passages of Scripture without sensing that David was a grateful man. You can't read the Psalms without coming across passages where David expresses his gratitude for the influence of others in his life. He was grateful for the personal benefit that he received. It's significant to me, and I can't take the time to develop this this morning, that he includes the name of Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. Eliam was Bathsheba's daddy. David wronged Eliam. And he mentions the very last of all, as if to capstone this list, he mentions Uriah the Hittite, a man who lost his life as a result of David's sin. David is broken enough and contrite enough and humble enough to include this man's name. As we've already mentioned, in expressing his gratitude, he's acknowledging the indispensable part that these men were. David understood he could not have been who he was, nor did what he did, except for these men empowered by God. Let us not be of that shameful sort 
that for selfish purposes drink up the liberties and the blessings that we have as Americans that have been preserved by God in our military. Let us not be like those who drink those blessings up while at the same time undermining the very principles that our military fought to protect. Fourthly, I notice this. David acknowledged and honored the veterans in his life, not only by listing their names and recounting their exploits and expressing his gratitude, but I want us to get this fourthly and finally. He honored their sacrifice. He honored their sacrifice. How did he do that? I appreciate the fact that he testified to God's hand working through these men. That is a testimony to the godliness of these men. In verse number 12, it was through Shammah that the Lord wrought a great victory. Even before that, it was through Eliezer that the Lord wrought a great victory that day. These men were seen as tools in the hands of God. And in so doing, David saying it this way, he is honoring their sacrifice, their service by understanding that they were men who had surrendered themselves to the hand of God to defend the people of Israel. So he testified of God's plan. Let me say as a grateful American, I cannot help as I look on the battles of our nation's history and then other aspects of our nation's history, I cannot help but see the providential hand of God. I think about the battle of Midway, the battle of the Bulge, and other battles and other events in our nation's history. And as you study them out, understanding who our God is and how he works, there's really no way you can explain the events of our nation's history other than the providential hand of God. And one of the ways that we can honor the sacrifice of our veterans and those of our nation military who gave their lives on battlefields is to testify of God's plan, God's hand, God's working. Secondly, as we honor their sacrifice, we can testify of God's working through them as David did in the lives of his veterans. But let's also acknowledge the price. Acknowledge the sleepless nights because of things that veterans saw and experienced in combat, because they experienced it, and because they endured sleepless nights, you and I can put our families to bed in peace tonight. David shows an amazing exchange in verse number 17. As these men hand him out of breath, can you imagine it? These guys bursting back into the cave, and David's just standing there in awe. And they come bursting back into the cave and they hand him this cruise of water. They're panting. <sighs> hand it back to him. And he takes it. And he realizes this is a sacred moment. Notice what he says. Is not this. The reason he gives for not drinking the water is because a price tag has been put upon that water that makes it too precious to drink. He said an exchange took place when those men did what they did. And the exchange was, David said, this is in essence the blood of men that went in jeopardy of their lives. He acknowledged the price. 
that was paid. And in so doing, he honored their sacrifice. I've told this before, but I've thought a lot about it recently. Many of you have maybe heard the story of the Bedford Boys. There's a whole book that's been written called The Bedford Boys. The National D-Day Memorial is located in Bedford, Virginia. When I first took a group of teenagers there a number of years ago, I remember thinking, Bedford, Virginia? Why Bedford, Virginia? Pulling into the parking lot, paying the parking fee, and I asked the sweet elderly lady working the ticket booth, I said, why Bedford, Virginia? And she raised herself up to her full height and her jaw set, and she looked at me and she said, young man, if you don't know why Bedford, Virginia, you need to study your history. So I did. Thirty-five boys from a town of 4,000 people present on D-Day. Nineteen of them would be killed before they ever even made the beach. Nineteen of 35. Four of them would die in the next few hours. Nineteen of 35, a total of 23. Per capita, Bedford, Virginia, a little town of 4,000 people, paid a higher price than any city in America on June the 6th. That's why the National D-Day Memorial is there. Is it out of the way to get there? Yes, but it's worth going. David honored the sacrifice of his veterans by testifying to God's work through them, by acknowledging the price. And then I want you to get this. He also made a pledge. You say, what do you mean? When he poured that water out on the ground, he was not wasting it. He was making a sacrifice. It had been given to sustain his life. Men had laid down, risked their lives in order to sustain his life. And he was symbolically pouring out his life as an offering to God, as an expression of honoring the sacrifice of this, these men and expressing his gratitude for God's provision. Instead of using it up selflessly for his own purposes and his own self-gratification, he essentially was saying, the life that I've been given through the protection, the instrumentality of these men as the tools of God, I am going to use it gratefully and selflessly. I'm not going to use it for myself. Yesterday, two days ago, I had a conversation with a veteran friend who I was thanking. And he said something to me that just echoed over and over in my mind. He said to me, he saw combat, and he said to me, he said, I'd gladly do it again for people like you. Now, I don't know who the other people were that he had in mind when he said it. I think I have an idea. But he said, I'd gladly do it all over again for people like you. Well, I'm taking from that that he understands that there is a category of people in our country that are grateful for the sacrifices our veterans have made. And we've been given a sacred trust. Get it? Not just as Americans, but as Christians. To use the liberties that we've been given for something outside of ourselves, for something eternal, for the cause of Jesus Christ. So I conclude with this. One of my favorite studies to do in the scripture is to look at the pictures that the Bible uses to illustrate the work of Christ on our behalf. 
I love the seven I am's of the Gospel of John. The picture of Christ as the bread of life, satisfying spiritual hunger. The picture of Christ as the light of the world, exposing sin and pointing us to the light of life. The picture of Christ as the door. He said, I am the door. And by him, if any man enters, he will be saved. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Don't your hearts thrill when you hear that? He's the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. What a picture. He said in John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he said in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, I am the true vine. And as we're connected to him, we draw nourishment from him. I love the picture, the illustration that he is the ark of salvation. And just as Noah built an ark in the Old Testament so that Noah and his family and all who would enter could be saved in the ark. Jesus Christ is likened to the ark of salvation. When people trust him, they enter by faith into the ark of Jesus Christ and they are saved from the condemnation of sin. I love pictures like that. I love the picture of Christ being the lamb. He is my substitute. In my place, condemned he stood and sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. I love the picture of his being the lamb. I love the picture of his being the lion, the conqueror. I love the picture of Hebrews chapter number two that he is the Son of God incarnate, and then by grace bringing us into the family of God, we too become the sons of God. And the Bible, I can't fathom it, but the Bible pictures Jesus as our brother. What a picture. He's our big brother. He's our redeemer. But what an honor it is. And it must be to every faithful soldier And every veteran of nation's armed forces, that another one of those great pictures that is used in the scripture to illustrate the work of Christ on our behalf is that the author of Hebrews calls Jesus the captain of our salvation. The word that carries with it the idea of the one who leads the way. (laughs) Judson and I in 2013 had the privilege of meeting a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. Captain James Livingston, retired as a major general from the Marine Corps in 1995. In 1968, I believe it was 1968, the Battle of Daido, D-A-I-D-O, personally led his men into a charge that saved the lives of a company of other Marines that were about to be overran. And it struck me, and I told him the day we met him, said, you know, the Bible (laughs) talks about Jesus being the captain of our salvation. I purposely read up on his story because I knew we were going to get to meet him. And he, as a captain, led his men into battle and saved the lives of many. Jesus Christ, as the captain of our salvation, led into the battle against sin all alone, all alone, and conquered the enemy of sin and death through the work of his cross. And so it's a tribute to every soldier that of all those other illustrations that are used to describe the work of Christ in the scripture, that one of those is also that he is the captain of our salvation. And so we learn from David how to honor 
our veterans. And then we do well to remember the Lord Jesus Christ as the captain of our salvation. To our veterans present here today, thank you. Seems so small. But on behalf of me and my family, and I believe I can speak for this church, I want you to know that we are grateful for the sacred trust that has been given to us. We will do our best as individuals, as Christians, and as a church to take the torch, to honor you, and to seek to preserve the liberties that God has given to us as a nation. Father, thank you for your word today. As we conclude this service in just a moment, I pray that our hearts would be stirred to gratitude and that also our responsibility would come before us in clear terms. And even as we sing to close the service here in just a moment, am I a soldier of the cross? I pray that all of us would be aware that as believers, all of us are soldiers in the Lord's army. And may we be good ones that endure hardness as a good soldier that stand for truth and carry the banner of the cross and go forward not with physical weapon but spiritual weapon, the sword of the Spirit, to see lost unbelievers brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so God help us as we sing this question to give an affirmative answer. In Jesus' name, amen.